Amen. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that much. All right, Romans chapter number one. Romans chapter number one. I think we have a plethora of extra outlines, and so uh, if you need one, Brother John is coming down the uh, um, coming down the middle. So if you'd like one, you can get his attention. Romans chapter number one. We're in part seven, and uh, boy, I'm excited about this one. As I am each installment of Romans, I think this one has a a special significance and a challenge for us because sometimes people ask us. Uh, about this subject matter at hand. So if you need an outline, let's grab that first. And uh, uh, if you need one, raise your hand and get John's attention. Uh, otherwise, many of us ha- have probably been asked, someone has challenged us about, well, what about the person who lives on an island and they've never had a missionary, they've never had the Bible? Are you telling me they're dying and going to hell? Are you telling me they'll know, they've never heard that? Uh, we've probably heard that question in some form or another. I've heard it. I've heard it in church. I've heard it knocking on doors in Northern Virginia. I still remember an incident knocking on the door and someone was rather confrontational and that's one of the questions they asked. And so how would you answer that? As a believer, if I asked you to stand up right now tonight and say, answer that, how would you do it? Would you have a good concept of how to do it and maybe, more importantly, some scripture to look at and, and to answer that? It's a, it's a good question because we need to know our doctrine, what we believe, so that we can present it to others. And so Paul does that here. Now, let me present it, and I want to do so tonight, and I, in some ways, I want to kind of slow down. Sometimes I have a tendency to get going and, and speed through a lot of this in-depth and so forth. So tonight, I really want to just slow down, take it easy, and make sure that we can wrap our minds around what we hear here, uh, what we hear here in the passage. Have you ever dealt with someone who was given explicit, clear, concise instructions and directions about what to do? And yet they failed to complete the task. So maybe as a parent, you you gave instructions. You said, okay, here's the task that you need to accomplish, that you need to get done. Maybe as a teacher, we have teachers here, whether it be Sunday school or maybe a Christian school, and you have given a task. You've given the directive. You've given the instructions. You've made it very clear what is required of a person. As we would say, they're without excuse. Uh, one of the great <laughs> illustrations that I think about, my dad, when he was growing up, so this is probably 1950s. Most of us don't remember that. Well, some of you older ones certainly do, right? 1950s, he's a little schoolboy in middle Tennessee, and he was at school. In fact, this is kind of neat. Back then, as you can imagine, his school teacher was also his Sunday school teacher. So they went to the same church, and she taught it on Sunday, Sunday school on Sunday, and yet she was also his public school teacher, <laughs> public school teacher at the same time. This is kind of funny, though. Um, uh, he was in class, and uh, the teacher handed out, I don't know, he must have been first or second grade or something like that. The teacher handed out a picture of a duck. Handed out a picture of a duck to every student, and the teacher said, all right, uh, children, we're going to get out our crayons, and we're going to color the duck, and we are going to color the duck yellow. My dad, and being somewhat of a stubborn young man, said, I'm not coloring this duck yellow. To this day, my dad hates the color yellow. You ask my children, what does Papaw, what color does Papaw not like? They'll tell you, it's yellow. In fact, he doesn't like cheese. There's got to be a connection there. I'm not going to color it yellow. So my dad gets out not his yellow crayon. My dad gets out a brown crayon. 
Because every duck that he's ever seen has been brown. So he colors that duck brown, and teacher's walking down the, the aisles and saying, hey, uh, checking out. And he comes to, or excuse me, she comes to my dad and says, did you not hear me? I, I said you're supposed to color yellow. Yes, ma'am, I heard you. <laughs> Why is your duck brown? Because I don't like yellow. I want to color it brown. She's like, no, you need to color it yellow. And this is where that stubbornness got him in trouble. He said, no, ma'am, I'm going to color it brown. And so you can imagine what happened in public school in that day. <laughs> he was dealt with at public school, and he was dealt with again at home. <laughs> and uh, he got in trouble. Why? Because he was without excuse. He was without excuse. Teacher had given directive. It was, it was very clear and very obvious that what was stated here. You need to color the duck yellow. Now, I've been a teacher for many years in Christian schools, certainly in many different levels too. And there's been times where uh, you've given an instruction, an assignment verbally, and, and someone comes back, a, a student, are you? Well, well, hey, teacher, I didn't hear you give the assignment. Any of your teachers ever hear that? Parents, you ever hear that? I didn't hear you tell me to, to clean my room. Wash the car, take out the garbage. I didn't hear you. Uh, other times, maybe the argument is simply this, that um, I, I didn't see it written upon the board. <laughs> the board there in front, they signed it, but I, I didn't see it written there. You know, the fact is, you and I would look at that, and we'd say, and we would understand that in every case, the teacher is just in giving a zero. They are, uh, whatever the consequence they divvy out, they are just and right in doing so. The student is without a valid excuse. Now, I'll tell you, Paul says the same thing in this passage. Look at verse 19. We've gotten done with verse 18. We talked about the wrath of God. Now, it's intrinsically tied to verse 19. Notice it. Because. It, it, so that explains that we're connecting something to the revelation of the wrath of God, which we talked about last Wednesday. Now, notice it. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are, say it with me, without excuse. That's quite the statement. We would put it this way. You see it on your outline, and, and we'll entitle this. It's hard to, honestly, it's hard to give an outline to it. So uh, we'll give you some statements and, a, and break, just break it down to two main points. But the reality is this. God's given revelation that leaves every person without excuse. That's what we're dealing with in these two verses. What is the revelation of God that's been given that deems, that leaves every person without excuse? Now, let's step back a second because one of the things we must do as we look at this passage, we must come to this passage with a solidified understanding and belief that God, now get it, God is truly, absolutely just. It, it, we've got to have that down. We've got to come understanding it. If we are to understand why all of mankind deserves the wrath of God, as verse 18 says they do, we must begin looking at what follows the word because through the lens of the established justice, justness, excuse me, righteousness and holiness of God. Because this is what we have to come to, this simple point. Because God is absolutely just, 
He never condemns anyone for anything unless condemnation is deserved. He never condemns anyone. Uh, in the Old Testament, when, when uh, Joshua and the Israelites, they, they went into Jericho and, and uh, someone did something wrong in the casting of lots, who did God bring the lots to point to? Achan, right? Because he had taken of the Babylonian garment and the gold and everything else and the things that he, he had taken of the spoils of the city, which he should not have. Do you remember when the lot came to Achan? You know what he said? I have sinned against God. He said, listen, God condemned me, and it wasn't unjust. It was rightful. I stole. In fact, it's in my tent. I buried it. If you go look there, you'll find it. See, when God condemns, he always does it justly. No one is ever condemned by God unjustly. Why? Well, the reality is this. You and I know God's character. We've studied enough of the Scripture. We understand the revelation we have in front of us of who God is. In fact, as we'll see tonight, there's other ways that we have seen the very character of God. And if we know the character of God, now get this, that character informs our understanding of God's interaction with you and I. So you know this. John tells us, First John and so forth, that God is love. That's his character, describes him. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 describes what love and charity looks like. So because we know the character of God, would you say that God loves you? Certainly. We see his character shown abroad in our lives. He demonstrates it day in and day out. Brother Randy Shaver and I were just talking before the service. And anybody in the world would look at your wife going to another state, falling and breaking her ankle as the worst thing that's ever happened. I guess it depends on if you love your wife. But anyway, we won't go there. Uh, from a perspective, you say, ah, that's horrible. Can I tell you? And, and Brother Shaver was sharing it. You know what? She's getting a great doctor over there, one that is so skilled that she couldn't have found one over here. Being over there, the reality is, and I hope Brother Shaver doesn't mind me sharing it, the reality is this. Now she has a daughter who's just going to be 10 minutes away because of work and can look in on Miss Julie and everything else. Hey, God is perfect in everything, isn't he? His timing is wonderful, and His love is expressed to us. His very character, we know His character. So we can look at this situation, we can say, wait a minute, God is love, and God in His love, this didn't happen by chance. God allowed that to happen, and and maybe work some circumstances by which this is going to work out well. For his glory and even Julie's good. And then we may see it as a hindrance and a problem. Nah, God's love comes shining through. But what if we didn't know about God's love? What would we look at that and say? How does this happen to me? God must hate me, right? Have you ever, has someone ever said that to you? Their car broke down on the way to work and they're having a bad day and they come into you and God must hate me. Likely what happens? Well, that person is misinformed about the very character of God. They don't understand it. Or if they do know it, they have forgotten it, like sometimes you and I can do. We lose sight of his character because it informs his interactions with us. Therefore, we must come to the conclusion of the end of verse 20. What? So that they are without excuse from the view of heaven. And what do we ask? Okay, if that's the case, if they are without excuse, in other words, I'm going to answer this question. In fact, I think it was asked a a few weeks ago in RU by someone, you know, uh, this very thought. And and so if we're going to come to it, we want to say, okay, from heaven's perspective, what brings us to this verdict in the case? 
What brings us to this conclusion so that all are without excuse? Another way of putting it, we might want to ask this way. How do we arrive at the verdict? What are the evidences? What are the proofs that say, okay, we can come to the end of verse 20, and I understand, that's true, that's right. All are without excuse. May I once again remind you what I've said several times through the study of Romans. Right now, and I said it specifically last week, what Paul is doing, Paul is presenting a case like a court case for the need for Christ, the gospel. And he's also presenting a case in this chapter and the following ones of the guiltiness of all the world, of all mankind. When I said that, you're going to say, hey, Pastor Henry, you might be making up something. Well, let me give you a point. I just got this this past week. I think it's tremendous. Do you realize that up until 1946, across the United States of America, our lawyers studied the book of Romans? You know why? Because it presents and it shows how to present and give a great case for something. So the lawyers were appointed in the United States of America up until 1946. They pointed them to the book of Romans and said, hey, study this. <laughs> the author of Romans did a fantastic job of presenting a case, the evidence, and then allowing a verdict to be reached. Can I tell you this? And I think it's certainly true. Before, and why would they do that? Well, because before modern books entitled The Case for Christ were ever written, God saw fit to write his own book, the Bible, and put in it the book of Romans, which gives us the case for Christ, case for the gospel, the case why every person needs salvation in Christ. In getting to the evidence for that conclusion that Paul presents here, let's start with an analogy. Okay, let's just say tonight that <laughs> this evening, this probably be an unlikely evening for it to have happened. But let's say some man walked in and he was un, uh, unknown to all of us. In fact, he walks in and a visitor and he comes and sits down. Well, immediately he has chosen to reveal some things about himself. In other words, we could look at him and immediately we can say, ah, he's got brown hair. Ah, he, he's about six foot tall. Oh, he's got, he's got blue eyes or brown eyes. We can see that. Oh, he wears glasses and we, we, we can see that. We can observe that. He has chosen to reveal that to us. Oh, he's not skinny, but he's not overweight. Okay. So we can kind of see that. We observe that. He's revealed that to us. We might even say, you know what? He does have hair, um, but he has a receding hairline. And we can observe little things. We can pick up some revelations because of his presence in our midst. Yet in that, he, he may even allow us to learn a little bit more about him. He's sitting down and you go up and you start talking to him. And let's say all of a sudden he, he talks and in conversation he volunteers that he's from Otter Lake. He says, I live over in Otter Lake. And in fact, he gives you a little bit more information. He says he's married. And in fact, he has three children. They are here with him tonight, but he gives a little bit more detail. He reveals a little bit more about himself. But beyond that, we have little revelation about the man. You could be wondering, in fact, what often happens when we have a visitor, obviously we like to know who's here and so forth. Maybe on a Thursday or, or the next service, somebody will say, hey, did you see that man? Who was he? Who, who was that? Well, has he been here before? 
See, someone comes and they choose on some level to reveal some things about him. But the reality is this. What we know about him, he has controlled. And he has allowed us to know. See, he didn't have to volunteer. He, he volunteered some things, but he didn't volunteer much more. He, he got to control and allow what was revealed. All of us are like that. You get to let us know about you, reveal some things, but you also get to keep some things yourself. You know, some of you don't want to tell us what, what you ate and drank today, right? Okay, you had a few sandwiches you probably shouldn't have. A few too many co- cups of coffee or Dr. Pepper. You don't have to reveal that tonight. Hey, understand the point. You and I as humans, we get to choose what we reveal and what we don't. We have that ability. It's funny. Sometimes when I'm signing up for something, you know what I do? I don't use the name Stephen. I use my real first name that I never use, Richard. So that if I get a phone call back and they, they address me as this Richard Henry, you know what I know? It's not somebody personal. They don't know me. And so it's a good indicator that this is business or something like that. I use that. Well, I reveal just that so that it's a good indicator. I, I don't reveal much more. And it's funny that if I do that with a doctor, I go in and they say, well, Rich, and I said, you can call me Stephen. <laughs> I choose how much to reveal. We all do that. Now, can I tell you, understand the very same way, just like you and I have that privilege and power, my friend, so does God. He chooses how much he reveals and what he reveals. So what is known about God is what God has allowed us to know. From revelation to revelation to revelation, God has given us knowledge and understanding about him, about his plan for mankind, about his offer of salvation. And so here's a great truth about revelation. You see there in your outline, great truth, notice it, revelation naturally leads to more understanding. So as we are given revelation, it naturally leads to more understanding. And that understanding will often open the door, now get this, to more revelation. So as revelation is given to me, and I come to understand it, we'll see this probably next week in verse 20, that terminology of clearly seen, you and I might read the English and we think, okay, it's seen with the eyes. That's really not the, the, the meaning of the Greek word there. It's the idea of seeing with understanding, perception with cognizant understanding of what is being presented. So it's an interesting thought we'll get more into next week. So, but the challenge is this. Hey, I've given revel- I'm given revelation, so I get understanding, and that understanding is the very thing that unlocks the door to more revelation. Say, so, let me give you an example, okay? I'm trying to illustrate things here, okay? Uh, uh, many of us, how many of you have a smartphone? How many of you are a smart person that operates a smartphone? Don't answer that. Just kidding. Okay. So a smartphone. Some of us, you've just gotten one. I still remember when I first got a, a smartphone when I went from a whoop, flip phone to a smartphone. I remember that. Now, as you got your smartphone, if you can think about it, as you've been exposed to it, with that revelation, you obviously naturally got more understanding. You say, well, Pastor Henry, I still don't understand it all the way. I understand that, okay? But the reality is this. You know what you have more understanding? You at least now know how to unlock it. I mean, at the very least, you know, because a flip phone typically didn't have a touch screen. Now a smartphone that in your possession, you now have a touch screen. Ooh. 
And, and so you've learned, you've gained some understanding, you've figured out how it works. I, I remember there's been people before who've gotten a new phone and they look at me and say, how do I make a phone call? Maybe that was you, right? I don't even know how to operate this thing. Okay, sometimes it's, it's that same way with new vehicles, isn't it? There's so many buttons to push and everything like that. Most of us don't have to worry about that, but if you ever get a new vehicle, there's so many buttons. I mean, so we're looking at this thing, and guess what? By the very revelation given unto us, we have gained more understanding what it is and how it works. Now, here's the cool thing. As you have gotten that revelation and understanding, more things are revealed to you. One of the things I like to use my phone for is such a thing called podcasts. You don't know what it is? Go ask Brother Aaron, okay? Um, see, if the evangelist can do it to me, I can do it to Brother Aaron, right? Okay? So go ask Why I like podcasts is this. I can download messages, sermons. And I can listen to them on my phone as I'm going down the road and everything else. That's pretty amazing to me. I enjoy that. On my flip phone, I could not do that. I couldn't do it. So... And as you think, you, start, you can text. I mean, texting is fantastic. You ever tried to text on a flip phone? That was fun, right? I mean, you, could, so, you get news. And your, I mean, now, guess what's happened? You and I, we've been given a smartphone. It's, things are revealed to us. We gain understanding in how to use it and, and, and so forth. And so you go from there to getting more revelation. Same thing is true with the gospel, and even obviously more importantly so. As this revelation is given to us by God, the more we come to understand the revelation he has given us from the beginning, the more we come to embrace his further revelation. So, by based on verse 19 and 20, we'll see what he has revealed and how he has revealed it. And as he does, then as the revelation of Jesus Christ comes along, as the revelation of God's word, it then opens me up to understand this revelation because I've come to understand the revelation he's already given me. So if I come to understand in verse 19 and 20, the revelation that everybody has, and here's the point, what verse 19 and verse 20 say, God has revealed himself outside of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures so that they are without excuse. Wait a minute. They don't have a Bible. Verse 19 to 20 says they are without excuse because God has been revealed other ways. Now, I sure am thankful we have the Word of God that gives us a fuller and more robust revelation of God. But I'll tell you, my friend, I sure am thankful that even if I don't have God's Word, He can reveal Himself to me in other ways, and as He has chosen to do. So don't miss the understanding of what Paul's saying. You and I are blessed in great ways. But I want you to notice this, because we have to acknowledge that any revelation we have concerning God is only ours because He's chosen to reveal it. The first part of this verse, did you catch it? Because that which may be known of God. You know what that tells us? There are some things about God that he has chosen not to reveal. For instance, that guy who walked in that was a visitor, he didn't reveal it, but he may have been a millionaire looking for a local church to give it to. Hurrah. But he didn't reveal it. We didn't know that. He didn't show it. He didn't tell us. But he walked in here and he was gauging and seeing, uh, is this the kind of church I want to invest in? He chose what to reveal, what not to. We have to come to understanding that God has chosen to reveal some things and he's chosen not to reveal some other things. 
Now, I do believe that when we get to heaven, we'll certainly know a lot more, right? We see through a glass now darkly, the Bible says. But then, as face to face. So, we understand that. And so, we've got to uh, maybe embrace that and be able to express that. So, then we've got to come to this conclusion. You notice it there in your outline. Anything beyond God's given revelation. Now, this is important. Because this is where much of Christendom has erred, i.e. Catholic Church and others, if you call them part of Christendom. Anything beyond God's given uh, revelation is man's supposition. What's a supposition? Well, it's an uncertain belief is a basic definition. It's not God's revelation. For instance, if I were to tell you, well, God is love, therefore all people are going to heaven because God loves people too much to send them to hell. What have I just said? Is that revealed in the Bible? Certainly not. Sins send people to hell. God doesn't. God is not willing that any should perish. Contrary to Calvinists and others who believe they are, that God elects them to hell and so forth. No, God is not willing that any should perish. God is one who would have all men come to repentance. That's his desire. Because okay, so we know that. We've covered that before. So someone doesn't understand. They're working off not the revelation of God. They're working off the supposition of God. Have you ever, what's a supposition? Well, it's an uncertain belief. You know what, where you, where I sometimes hear the word supposition? Not in people's ter- uh, typical normal conversations. You know where we hear it? In a court case. This guy over here, the prosecuting attorney, is trying the case, and all of a sudden the, the defendant's lawyer stands up. I object! Lawyer looks at him. Why do you object? Well, that's pure supposition. In a court case, supposition is when a lawyer or a prosecutor makes a statement that has no basis. It is not foundational. It is not something that is known to be true. It is suppositional. And what happens often when, a, when someone argues that and, it, and the judge says, yeah, you're right, that's supposition, objection is sustained, held up. So we must be very careful because suppositions, they get us into trouble, don't they? Do you realize the Catholic Church took the canon of Scriptures and then started adding all to these traditions and all these things that the, the councils and everything said? And they started supposing things about God in His Word that just weren't so. We must be careful about supposition. Hey, my friend, you and I, now we have to understand this and, and come to terms with this simple truth. Everything that God wants us to know about Him, He's given to us. There is no extra revelation. I, I had somebody, and I don't think they're here. Uh, <laughs> I had somebody a few couple years ago tell me about how Jesus appeared in their bedroom and sat up in the corner and told them some things. Hoorah. Yeah, right. That doesn't happen. There's no extra revelation. We have the completed canon of Scripture. What God has wants us to know about Him, the reality is He's already given it to us. Whether it be through creation or what's inside of us, as we'll see in this verse, or God's Word, or Jesus Christ Himself. In fact, Jesus Christ is the best revelation of God the Father as we look at Him. So we must have these things ordered and foundational. In other words, instead of holding tightly to thus man supposes, we must hold tightly to thus saith the Lord. 
We have here presented to us the means of revelation or the two ways which God has manifested knowledge of himself like that of uh, that man walking in our midst. There are some things that God has revealed. What are they? Well, here, here, here's one way that God has revealed some things to himself, and we just have a few minutes left. I was hoping we'd get further, but let's go ahead and get into it, and we'll continue next week. Number one is this. You see it. God has revealed himself to mankind, notice it, within them, within them. Verse 19 says this, because that which may be known of God is manifest in, or literally, even within them, as the Greek word certainly allows, but in them. That's what it means, within them. Sinful, depraved man was created by whom? God of heaven. Who are you and I created for? Well, his good pleasure, for God. We are created to have a meaningful relationship with the God of heaven. That is what we are designed for. That is why we were designed and created. So, because of that, and we can come to this simple conclusion, you'll see it from many parts of the Scripture if we get into it. Mankind was created with an innate knowledge of God. Whether we classify it as a seedling thought or our conscience or that every man has a, and you and I have heard this, and it's not a bad description, but every man has a God-sized hole in their life that needs to be filled however you want to describe it, and whether it's a culmination of all these things, every person has it within them. Paul plays upon this truth in this passage. Now know this. Paul establishes this through the rest of the passage. Look down at verse 21. Notice what he says, verse 21. Because that, and that's another because tied to the first because, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. So that's an interesting statement. When they knew God, when they had knowledge of God, here's what he said. They didn't worship him like God. They didn't glorify him like God. So they had a knowledge. They had an understanding. And, and really, verse number 20 develops this thought. Notice the eternal uh, power and Godhead basically communicates. They have this knowledge. But they chose not to worship him. Literally, he's saying they have a sense of God, but rather than explore it and search it out to receive more revelation, what do they do? They suppress it. How did verse 18 describe it? They held the truth in what? Unrighteousness. So the truth is, oh, there's, there's got to be a God that's seen across creation. And in my heart, I know that there is a God and that there's a supreme being. And, and I, I feel it. I sense it. But I'm not going to acknowledge it. I'm going to push it down. I'm going to deny it. I'm going to suppress it so that I can act like an atheist, an agnostic, whatever the case may be. So we, we push it down. We deny it. It's a chosen, and remember this from last week, it's a chosen unbelief. It's an unbelief. That holding the truth and unrighteousness from the prior verse. The revelation demands this revelation of God that's within each of us. Demands a proper response of seeking and finding God. What does God promise throughout the scriptures? Seek me and ye shall find me. It's throughout scriptures. You seek me and you will find me. It's a given. If you seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. 
That's the promise. And so the revelation that is given to us is for us to understand. And by understanding, what do we seek? More revelation. And so I seek after God. And what has God promised? If I will seek Him, what will I do? I'll find Him. More revelation becomes mine. And it all starts with what He has already revealed about Himself. Here, number one, within us. As it demands a proper response of seeking and finding God, any other response is inexcusable. Notice what one theologian said, if you will, with me. Okay, Notice it. I'll let you read it while I get a drink of water. The Scriptures both assume... Don't get messed up in this wording. It isn't bad grammar. Okay, Maybe a little awkward sentence structure. The Scriptures both assume and declare that the knowledge of God is, is universal. So the existence of God is basically what he's saying. The Scriptures assume and declare the existence of God. And that belief and holding fundamental is universal. We'll look at a couple of these verses later, but 128. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God and they which commit such things are worthy of death. Knowledge, 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 knowledge. And 2.15, which show the works of the law written in their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness. So the Scriptures are communicating this truth that God has inlaid the evidence of that fundamental truth in the very nature of man that he created so that nowhere is God without a witness. Great truth and statement. And as believers who we say, listen, if someone wants to get saved, God will make a means for him to be found. We must hang our hat on this truth that Paul presents. Because it is unfair, it is unjust, if someone cannot come to trust in Christ, to say that all men are condemned to the wrath of God and are without excuse. But praise be to God, we serve a God with eternal power. That if you seek him, you will find him. And the seeking is also based on this reality that he has revealed himself to every person. I don't know about you, but man, this sure is rich. In truth and in doctrine. Man, what a challenge for us. We go on. So even entirely apart, even entirely apart from Scripture, God has always revealed himself to mankind and continues to do so. Get the, now, this is important. Any person's claim, then, to ignorance of God is invalid because they have ignored and suppressed the revelation of himself that God has put within their very nature. And as we will see in his very creation. So, to say I'm ignorant of God, you're without excuse. Because God has even put within us, in our very nature, an understanding, a sense of God that we can respond to and understand and seek more revelation. And so then the conclusion is this. If that is the case, we come to this part of our outline. Just as no person can claim the excuse of ignorance, therefore no person, and let me back up a second, that excuse of ignorance, teacher, teacher, I didn't hear you give the assignment. Teacher, I didn't see that written on the board. Hey, no person, no student can give this excuse of ignorance. So therefore, no person can claim that the condemnation of guilt and worthiness of God's wrath 
against him is unjust. Is unjust. You can't look at God and say, hey, this isn't fair. I didn't have a chance. I didn't know. Wait a minute. Verse 19, verse 20 says, oh, 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 those things that you need to know, the first revelation that there is a God is yours to be had if you will accept it. If you will, it can be clearly seen. Put it this way. Every person is accountable for this revelation that has with that is within them he says it verse 19 that's been manifest in them then verse 20 we'll see next week in creation it is a revelation from god that can lead one to salvation so in many ways we say it's the first step we'll look at this next week the first step towards salvation you say well pastor henry i'm I'm having a little hard time wrapping my mind around let's let's do it this way I, i think this is a very simple practical and we'll probably have to end with it but a simple practical illustration uh, of this truth of the evidence of this truth of inward revelation from the pages of scripture now listen you know this what does the very first verse in the bible say in the beginning god now it's interesting you think about that that state we said it before there is a heavenly presupposition here in the verse one that communicates that there's something already established before the revelation of the Bible, and that is this truth. There is a God. So, how was it revealed? If the Bible starts out with, in the beginning, God. And there's no more detail. In fact, as you'll see it here, as, as we have put on this outline, this, the Bible doesn't begin. Hey, by the way, it doesn't begin Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Let me introduce you to God. There is no introduction in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 1. All we do is cut to this statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, but who's God? It doesn't. The Bible doesn't answer that because it doesn't have to. Why? Because God has already revealed himself within man and through creation. You get that, Christian? Now, does it give us more description? Sure. It tells us who God is. It describes it for who it is. But how was it revealed before time. How was mankind supposed to know about God before the Bible, before Genesis, before Moses? What revelation does the Bible build upon? Simply this, that God has revealed or manifested himself to every person within them and within creation. The Bible doesn't begin with an introduction, a revelation of their being in God. It is a fact that has already been revealed in the hearts of men. We looked at verse 28 of chapter 1. They, what did it say? Man, I love this. Forgive me. I get so excited about this. What did verse 28 say? Notice it. And even as they did not like to, what's the next word? Retain. Now listen to me. Forgive me if this is gross to you, but sometimes when people uh, maybe eat too much salt or get a sickness, they retain water. Now let me ask you this. How do you retain water? Well, you have to have the water what? First. It has to be in your body before you can retain it. To retain something means to keep what you already have. Right? 
We know that. That's basic English. That's basic definology. Word etymology. We understand that. So the verse said, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. You know, when we don't like something, we, we, we joke that we have short-term memory. I forget about that real quick. In fact, some of us husbands are very good at that. We never remember a mistake we make. We forget it very quickly, right? Okay? We don't like to retain it in our knowledge. Hey, listen. You can't retain something that you don't have. So if they don't like to retain the knowledge of God, what does that tell us they had? The knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. You can't retain it. Give you one illustration. We're done. Helen Keller, she was left sightless. She was left uh, speechless. She was left without hearing by a disease as a small child, a baby. I mean, we know that. Man, what a, what a thought. Not to be able to hear, speak. I, I mean, just tremendous, uh, uh, just complications, obstacles to overcome. And yet, what is amazing that she was taught to understand and communicate through touch. And eventually, she came to be able to talk, which just blows my mind. And the lady's name was Miss Sullivan, if you know the story well, that, that got her and made those breakthroughs and taught her and things. It's just, just a tremendous miracle and story. But part of that, Miss Sullivan tried to teach Helen Keller about God. And as she was teaching her about God, as she was teaching her just basic communication and things like that. This is what Helen Keller, as a small girl, said. As she was trying to teach her about God, she said this, I already know him, I just didn't know his name. Man, what a statement. And I'll tell you, that doesn't mean Helen Keller is something special. You know what it means? Helen Keller is a person. She's a human and in her was a knowledge of God. Now, it may not have been, certainly been enough to see her saved, but I'll tell you what it was. It was enough for her to have some understanding that God, in her seeking, was allowed to be found, allowed himself to be found. So that revelation led to understanding, and understanding led to more revelation. And my friend, I'll tell you tonight, I'm thankful that Helen Keller came to put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know where it started? A knowledge of God. And where did that knowledge of God start? Hey, Helen Keller couldn't hear. Helen Keller couldn't speak. She couldn't read the Bible. She couldn't see. She couldn't hear the Word of God. But it isn't amazing. She knew that there was a God. Hey, my friend, Romans chapter 1 and verses 19 and 18, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable, what's the next word? For doctrine, teaching and instructing. Someone comes up to you and say, hey, 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 what about that person out in an island that, that doesn't, doesn't have a Bible, doesn't have a missionary? Oh, my friend, our great God has made a way for them to come to know Him. He's revealed himself to them. We'll get into it more next week about the creation that God has shown us. Man, I wish we could keep going. And we'll stay here a couple hours. We'll do it. Okay, let's not. All right, Brother Cliff, you'll bring those prayer requests to me. Let me share these with you. I got several. Uh, Brother Ron prayed earlier for Andy Van Bergen. Do pray for him. He was in the hospital Monday night through this afternoon. He had an infection, and the leg was pretty red and swollen and things like that. So pray for Andy Van Bergen. He is on antibiotics.